I think the scripture is in Colossians where it says, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do it all, what? For the glory of the Lord. Amen. Amen. It's good to be with you this morning. I want to thank you for all your, your prayers. I want to thank you for allowing me to, to be your pastor and for loving me, uh, hopefully through a growth process. Uh, it's hard to imagine. I, I reading over some sermon notes when I first became pastor, and I thought, golly, bum. They really did love you, pastor. They just kind of looked and allowed through all that. Well, it was in 1947 that a theologian named Henry, I think his name was Carl Henry, uh, and he wrote to some contemporaries of his coming out of World War II, and he said, uh, he made an awful statement. He said that historic Christianity runs the risk of losing cultural influence in the United States, in our government, because of the church's hesitancy to address pressing world problems. Wow. That was a big statement. That as Christians, we run the risk of losing that influence in our culture by not addressing the current issues. And as a result of that, uh, a, a lot of Christian believers uh, just withdrew from the political process completely. And if we did address it, it we addressed it, it was addressed maybe in churches, uh, and some and others just said, no, that's, that's, uh, that, that's a personal thing. Uh, today, I want to talk to you uh, because I believe a lot of believers are confused about how to blend their religion or their faith and the politics. And maybe a lot of people aren't confused about how to blend it at all. They just see it as oil and water, and the two are never to mix. Okay? Uh, and some of you, I, I growing up as a baby boomer then in the 1950s, I can remember comments like this, and you may, some of you may have heard this. I, I heard the comment, well, if you're not a crook, when you get into political office, you will be a crook before you get out. Anybody ever hear that? Yeah, we've, we've heard that. And as, and as a result of that, you know, we're just like, I'm, I'm, don't go there. Let, let them do that. But let's stay true and let's stay honest. I just want to say that there are some very, I have met some very strong Christian men and women who have maintained and walked out their integrity in serving in public office. But the pressures upon them are humongous. And I'll just tell you that today, the pressures, pressures upon Christians to creep, keep the Christianity, their Christianity within the church walls is tremendous. So I want to talk to you this morning, Lord willing, uh, and I've wore my Joshua's Warrior shirt that was given to me as an honorary member of Joshua's Warriors. I mean an honorary member of Joshua's Warriors. Uh, and I want to talk to you about the Christian and politics, a biblical perspective. And I'd ask you to do me one favor. Don't leave until I'm through. Listen to me. Because I'm, I, the, the, everything within me, I'm going to try to, to be biblical and give you biblical scripture, give you scripture, not just to support what I believe, but as a basis of why I believe what I believe in scripture. Um, and, it was, and, and, and I'm going to blame you for that because it was a little over 
nine years ago in May of 2011, that the House of Prayer Church family uh, sent Barbie and me to Washington, D.C. Uh, and it's kind of like that. What's that movie where Jimmy, Jim, James Stewart goes to Washington? What, what's that? Yeah, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. I kind of felt that way. I, you know, we weren't in Kansas anymore. I could tell that. And we got off the train station there in Washington, D.C. But you sent us to Washington to a, uh, at the, at the, as a guest of the Family Research Council for a Watchman on the Wall conference. And, uh, the, the, of course, the scripture for that conference, as a basis of that, is found in Isaiah chapter 62, verse 6, where God's word, word says, I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day or night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, don't keep silent. So this, uh, this conference that we went to was uh, hosted by Family Research Council, and some of you say, well, the only thing I've heard about Family Research Council is the Southern Law and Poverty Center has designated them as a terrorist organization. Um, let me just give you a little bit. In, in uh, 19, the mission, let me give you the mission of uh, this Watchman Conference was to champion and pastors to transform America through a pastor-led call to Christian ministers to seek the face of God through individual and corporate prayer, fasting, and repentance, and to stand publicly for the truth on the important issues of our day so that the church and the nation might fulfill their purpose in Him and once again experience in full the protection and provision of God's hand. They stressed to those of us who were there in that conference to pray for the nation and to lead the church, our churches that we pastored, to become houses of prayer. And that was pretty easy, okay, for at least for, for me, because we, we were, we are, we am, okay, whatever that is. The second prong of that was to preach on Christian citizenship and moral issues from a biblical perspective. And I've sought to do that. Pastor Jeff, the ministry staff, we seek to do that. Uh, whether it's here on Sunday morning or whether it's in our Bible studies or whatever we do. The third part of that was for me was to partner with other pastors uh, who were of a like mind. And so that was, that was my goal. And with all that's facing uh, America today uh, and with these issues that we're facing and with the uncertainty of this, uh, it's for sure that as believers... We cannot quarantine or isolate ourselves from the duty to follow God and to know the biblical principles which are at stake today, okay? Uh, Isaiah, I mean, Jeremiah, was, I was really interested to read again this week in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7, and Israel was, uh, was, was being overrun. They were being... Uh, ravaged and, and, and the pressures around and mount were mounting tremendously and Jeremiah says to the people seek the peace of the city where I cause you to be carried captives and away and pray unto the Lord for it for it and the peace thereof you shall have peace well it was this um, it's this whole issue there of uh, of praying and as a pastor 
some have said uh, over the years, I understand, some have told me you're too political. And, uh, and, and as a, even as a result, I've had a couple of good friends and good families remain friends, but they just said, Pastor, we're not going to come, we're not gonna come to the house of prayer anymore because we just don't think politics and, and, and church should mix. And we stayed friends, but they left here. But from the, the Watchman on the Wall conference, I felt my mandate that I committed to was at least clear in two areas. One, that it was to pray and to get our churches to pray for our elected leaders. And we're told to do that. It's unequivocal. And, and, and unequivocal. And, and Timothy, Paul is, is telling young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he's telling him that, that uh, I exhort you, first of all, I mean, this is, this is a priority. First of all, that supplication, prayers, and intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, and especially those for kings, for all that are in authority, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of our God and Savior, who will have all men to be saved. Now, I want you to just notice how he, how he ties together praying for our leadership, praying for our government, and how he quickly ties that together with the opportunity to share the gospel. He said, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and man, and that's the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified of in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ, and I lie not, a teacher of Gentiles in faith and verity. So we have this mandate to pray. And with that, I'm going to pray. Okay, join me. Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that in a time, a, a time of our nation and a time in the, really in the world where we're throwing anchors out and trying to, to get a hold of something that holds and is not changing that your word is that anchor, that your word is settled in heaven and is true. And your word is not, not open to the discussion uh, and to the authentication of men or groups of men or religious leaders, but you've settled it in heaven. And Father, this morning is my prayer that as your Holy Spirit comes and teaches today, as your Holy Spirit comes, and, that we would open our hearts and our minds to you and to your word. You be our teacher. And Lord, our commitment is to walk in your truth. In your name I pray. Amen. The second part of the prong or the mandate that God called me to was to preach biblical truth uh, as far as concerning the issues. And I believe that God expects me to, as a pastor to, to be responsible to help you to be salt in Matthew chapter five and chapter five, Jesus tells us that we're the, that we're to be salt, and I think we're to be salt in a bland society. Okay, we're to be seasoning there. We're to be, make it what's palatable, and we're to be light in a dark culture. So, with that in mind, we're talking about what is the Christian's responsibility, the Christian in politics, in a biblical perspective. Why should we vote? A research of uh, of politics, a short search will bring you to the word polis, P-O-L-I-S. It's a Greek word, and it's basically where we get our word politics. And the, and the Greek word, as, it, as they used it, was in reference to how they interacted with their fellow man. 
how they interacted with each other, okay, and uh, in, in community, and we're to, we're to relate, how we're to rate, relate to each other in love. Now, Romans 13, not going there, but in Romans chapter 13, Paul is talking about God ordaining government. In Genesis chapter 9, God is, as you read that, you see that God gave to community not only the right, but the responsibility then to deal with those who would come in and disrupt or destroy that community. So we see, I want you to see that as we look at Genesis early on, we see that God is the designer and ordainer of marriage and of the family. He brought Adam and Eve, and that was his design. God also designed the institution of government. And we'll see later on how God ordained and designed the institution of the church. These are all institutions that God or God ordained. And they're all under attack today as those who would seek to change or to destroy the design of God and make it man's ideal. I love talking to young couples as, uh, as they're getting married. I've got three, three couples right now that are going through premarital counseling. And it's hard for me at my age to kind of keep them separated, okay? Okay, now what was we talking about? What is this couple? But, but, but one of the things that is my, I love is we talk about marriage and family and the home is to say, hey, it's not man's ideal. Whose idea was it? It was God's. And so if God is the designer of this thing, then he has a owner's manual that tells us how it should function. And that's true also with government and with the church. So as we look at this, we see that we need to be consistent. Our government needs to be consistent with God's proposed plan of how it functions. And we've got examples of that, of how he uses his people. And the Old Testament quickly comes to mind as the example of, of Daniel and Joseph, two, two young men who God put in ungodly administrations, but they were an influence for good into those ungodly administrations, Joseph and Daniel. And how, what about Esther? Queen Esther, and how that God used her in her influence in a time to save, literally save the lives of the Jewish people. In the New Testament, we've got Jesus, and as you read through the New Testament, it is, un, there's no way. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. This is his primary purpose in coming is to make it possible for men and women, boys and girls, to have a relationship with him, a, a living relationship as our Savior, as our God, as our, as our best friend. But he also came, and we see this, how that he ministered not only to the spiritual, but in, in reality and practicality, he ministered to the hungry. When he looked around and saw the people that had been with him for a long time, and he said, hey, they're hungry, let's give them something to eat. And it wasn't just to show his power on bread and fish and multiplication, because he knew there was a need there. And as he had a, his, to deal practically and holistic with the physical needs, with the emotional needs, as well as with the spiritual needs of the people, that would, fall, that would carry on in the New Testament there with the church as Paul, right into the church in Ephesus, would say in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, is that he reminded them that we are created in Christ to do good, to do good in our relationships with each other, that we're to, to do good, doing good works. 
Uh, and, and Galatians chapter 6, it says something very similar. We're doing good works is surely much easier when we're doing it with, with liberty. Those of you that minister in the, in the food cottage, those of you that minister in Elijah's closet, as we do Canal Lake Bible Camp, as we do upward sports ministries, as we send missionaries out into all the world, it's surely much more easier to do this in government that allows the liberty to do that and impacting Christian lives. A Christian worldview includes everything about us. Some people want to take their Christianity and they want to compartmentalize it. I'll be Christians in church, okay? I believe that Jesus was God's son and I'll go to church and I'll worship him. But now I don't, I, but my, my politics are over here and they're separate. And what I do at work, my career is over here and it's separate. And oh, by, by the way, in my leisure time, what I do for leisure, it's back here and it's separate. I just want to tell you, as I read scripture, I, I believe that scripture teaches that being in Christ and Christ in us is not, it's, it's a holistic approach. It, it's who we are. It's who we are. And it's the same whether it's in church, whether it's on the job, whether it's at the ball game, whether it's out fishing, it's who we are. It's this, it's, it's, and, and as a result of that, it also includes our politics, how we interact with each other and how we vote. It has huge implications for missions, has huge implications for evangelism and freedom to preach the gospel. In our missions conference, almost, well, I would say, very frequently, almost every time, and in between the conferences, Evelyn and Bill and those on the mission committee will tell you, we're getting people saying, pray for the government here, that they will allow us to do this. Pray for the government that we have favor. And in some countries, it's more difficult than others. And we know the implications there. So I believe that as Christians, we have a biblical obligation to engage in the political process. Okay? I believe we have an obligation to do that. Now, the current political environment in our country is so emotionally charged that some, some Christians just want to opt out of it. And they say, man, I am, not getting, I am not wading into that mess, okay? But one pastor said something I thought was pretty accurate. He said, to not be political is to be political. Now think about that. To not be political is to be political. It's really an endorsement of the status quo. We really are saying, okay, I'm, I'm fine with the way things are. And when the church takes that stand collectively, history tells us the results have not been good. In the 19th century, for a large part, the churches isolated and were not, were not addressing the issue of slavery and a biblical approach to that. In the 20th century, we've got more, more recent current uh, examples. We were in South Africa, many of the choir, and, and some of you were there in South Africa in 2001. We've had Pastor Greg Matai here, and he's preached often. Pastor Greg Matai grew up under apartheid there in South Africa. And he tells the horrors of how that affected. And to a large part, for a large part, the Church of England in South Africa in the, in the 20th century basically chose to keep the religion in the church house and to not confront those issues that were out there. Better example, and boy, this one is close to me. 
uh, is, is the, the church in Germany in the 1930s and, and the 1940s. I've got a book on my desk by Urban Lutzer. And it's seven lessons that we dare, that we need to learn from Nazi Germany. Basically, what happened in Germany in the late 30s was as Hitler was rising in power and rising in influence, he, went to, he called a meeting of church leaders across Germany and he said to them, you keep your religion in your churches and I'm not going to bother you. Let me run the state. You run your church and I'll run the state and everything will be okay. And they took him at his word. And so the churches then gradually withdrew from the government and their influence in government. And as they did, one by one, he began to take over and influence every other area until it came a time when he came after the church and the Christian leaders, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and others that dared then to speak out. And as he, when he came after the church, the Christians in Germany, and this is their testimony, I've heard it from some personally and I've read it from many others. And they said, we were silent and we kept, kept silent until he came after us. And then when we took a stand, there was no one left to stand with us because we had been silent while all this was happening. By not being political, these churches enabled evil injustices and evil laws to stand. As Christian believers and citizens of the United States, we have a unique opportunity in a republic. We, we say that it is, a nation, it is a government of the people and by the people and for the people. That's you and that's me. So we have a responsibility, we have a great privilege, but we have a great responsibility to vote. It's, not a, it's, a, it's been a matter of good citizenship. How can we love the peoples around the world that are going to be affected tremendously by the foreign policies of the United States? How can we say we love them and not be involved in trying to help set and establish leaders that are going to be making those policies? Prior administrations in this country have tied foreign aid from the United States monies that these countries desperately needed to function. And they've tied that to the country's positions on abortion. They've tied that to the country's position upon homosexual laws. And as a result, I cringed when I heard it, and I wondered, well, we can't do anything about it. You may have heard it and may have cringed the same thing. As a result, we forced, our country forced other nations who did not feel strong, who, as a matter of fact, who did not believe this way, believed it was wrong, and we forced them to adopt and to capitulate to these wrong ideals or we would not give them foreign aid. Christians who support missionaries should care deeply, deeply about our country's foreign policies, especially towards religious freedoms. So how do we vote biblically? Uh, no biblical truth and let it not only influence but guide us as we engage in the political process. Historically, I was telling the first service and none of you will remember this, the 13th president of the United States was Millard Fillmore. Millard Fillmore was the last president to be elected who was not associated with one of the two political parties. He was a, a member of the Whig party. 
Now, look, I probably need to join that. I don't know if they all wore wigs. I don't know how it come from, okay? But ever since Millard Fillmore, every president in, our, in the United States has been associated with either the Democratic or Republican Party. So these two-party system of ours is not like, and hear me, it's not like cheering for Georgia or Clemson in a football game. It's not like choosing an alumnus. It's not like saying, well, my family has always voted Republican or my family has always voted Democrat, and that's who I am. For the believer seeking to honor God in every area of our life, including our involvement in the political arena, it's far more serious and more important than who wins a football game. It's more important than, than that. Because political parties are increasingly insistent, I see, in this country, of demanding total allegiance to their party platforms. It behooves us then to know the policies of their platform. And that's easy to do. You don't have to listen to what they say. You can go to what they've got in writing. Uh, I say it's easy to do. I just asked Jackie this week. I said, hey, can you pull me off uh, the, the position of the Democratic platform and the Republican platform on these issues? And just in a couple minutes, just, here they are from the Democratic website, from the Republican Party's website. And so we can pull them off and know those issues. What, where they stand on those. Now, what are the issues? And there's many. But the big four, okay? The big four that I see, that are always talked about, is abortion and the sanctity of life. It's marriage and family. And including in marriage and family, I'm going to include sexuality. The definition of marriage, sexuality. And now, we've got gender addender. Uh, gender addender. Addender? <laughs> Gender identity that's involved in that. Okay? And, 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 uh, and then we've got the, the, the whole issue of poverty. How are we, how, what is the responsibility of the haves helping the have-nots individually and as, as nations? And we have a responsibility. What is that responsibility? And not only that, then we have the issue of racial inequalities and of racial tensions. So those are, those are the big four that I see that we're dealing with today. And I believe, listen to me, I believe scripture speaks clearly to each of these issues. It's not left for me to emotionally understand and figure it out, but it's left for me to biblically know what God's word says and to make a commitment. Am I going to obey him or not when it comes to the priorities of these issues? Both parties... Republican and Democrat say that racism and poverty are important issues. But they have different on ideals on how to address these issues or how to, to work to solve these issues. And historically, these parties, the Republicans and the Democrats, historically have been able to work together on some big areas when it comes to these two issues. Give you an example here. Yeah, there it is. In 1964, the Civil Rights Act 
1964 is a, is a big deal. It's an important deal, I believe, in our country. Uh, to ensure racial equality in America, the record shows that in 1964, that Republicans and Democrats worked together. 80% of House Republicans and 82% of, House, of Senate Republicans joined 63% of House Democrats and 69% of Senate Democrats in voting in favor of legislation that outlawed discrimination based upon race, that ended segregation in public uh, institutions such as schools, and that prohibited the unequal application of voter registration requirements. This bipartisan work on Civil Rights Act represented a historic legislative accomplishment in our nation. More recently, and you'll remember this, in 2018, both Republican and Democratic lawmakers worked together to pass the First Step Act. If you, you, you've heard of this, it's been in the news. The First Step Act is designed to reduce recidivism through vocational training and educational courses. House Republicans, 226 of them, joined 134 Democrats in advancing the bill. According to the NAACP, African Americans and Hispanics make up 32% of the general population, but they made up 56% of those who are in, in jail, in prison. Thus, efforts to reform the criminal justice system represent steps in addressing problems that disproportionately affect minority communities. Well, there's, there's room to disagree on policies and to disagree on ways to, uh, to implement the best policies, policies to deal with these. But when it comes to the other two, when it comes to abortion and marriage, I believe that there's developed within this country this wide and deep divide, a chasm between the two political parties and their stance on these two very important issues. On abortion and the personhood of the unborn, I believe clearly the Bible teaches that life begins at conception and that all life is to be is sacred. Now, I've asked Craig to throw up some, some, just some verses. I'm not going to go through this. I'm just going to, he's just going to throw up a list of verses. Paige said, Dad, can you put up some scriptures? Because people want to know, is this just your opinion? Or how, what does scriptures, where does scriptures say that? This is just a few, just a few. And you can look at them or take a picture real quick with your phone and copy them down. What does the scripture say about life, the beginning of life? What does the scripture say about the sanctity of life? It's important. In 2019... New York State repealed a section of the state's health, public health law that had protected babies that were born alive after botched abortions. New York State repealed that. Quickly following upon that repeal by New York State in 2019, the governor of Virginia, Ralph Northam, and as I was researching this, I was, um, I was surprised to learn that the governor of Virginia, you know, what, you know what his career was before he became governor of Virginia? 
He was a pediatric neurosurgeon. Listen, he was a pediatric neurosurgeon. And this was his comment. I heard it. You heard it. He said that a, in Virginia, that he was going to enter this legislation that a baby born alive after a late-term abortion attempt would be kept comfortable while the doctor and the mother had a discussion of whether to let the baby live or not. You remember that? That was the discussion. A bill was introduced in the U.S. Senate called the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. Eighty times, Speaker Pelosi was asked to schedule a vote on this bill. In January 2020, this year, a pain-capable unborn child protection act was introduced. Both these bills had majority backing in the, in the Senate, in the House, Not, but they didn't have the 60% vote that would end a filibuster. When it comes to marriage and sexuality, and I've gone, Craig, if you'll throw up some other scriptures. When it comes to marriage and sexuality, God's design, listen to me, I believe that redefining marriage, okay, big, there's a big um, Supreme Court decision that basically did this and basically said people have a right to marry whoever they choose. Two men can marry, two women can marry, whatever. This is, this is the process. When you begin redefining marriage, I believe, and when we, when we talk about, I believe, I believe it's an attack upon God's design. Scriptures, clearly, as you look at this, it was God's intent. He brought Adam and Eve together, and it was God's intent that one man and one woman committed, that's what we say, will you, will you, be, will you be commit this commitment for as long as you both shall live? That's his design, okay? Now, we live in a sinful world, and that's been affected a lot, but we don't change God's design if we want to have a peaceful, want to live in peace. We change us. When it comes to redefining gender, and this is a big one right now. I didn't understand how big it was till the last, the last few weeks. I've been reading a lot of research, and you hear a lot of this Guys with online learning. How many of y'all, we've got a bunch of college age and older, some high school. How many of y'all school age kids, uh, either you or your, if you're older for us, more mature ones, my grandkids, okay? How many of y'all know have got kids or grandkids that are doing some online learning? Okay, they're doing it, they're doing it video. Oh, some of you had some of you. Court, you don't know anything about that? Oh, you had your arms crossed. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make you uncomfortable. All right. We, we all, we all are aware of this. Okay, uh, uh, Evelyn was just telling me, Bill's got a, a grandson down at Auburn, and he, he went back, back then in classes, he was in, a, in, a, in his dorm, and everybody in his dorm room got, uh, got this virus, so he came home, and he's doing it online. He didn't want to be there with, with them cooped up, okay? So the, a lot of the discussion around online education now, and it's been in national news, has been the fact that Teachers don't like, and again, I, I'm, I'm on all of them, but teachers, I, this is, I'm quoting, teachers don't like the fact that parents have access to the curriculum they're teaching their kids. That should be a concerning, because I want to tell you something. Parents and grandparents and parents-to-be, one day, 
as a, as a parent, you are responsible for your son and daughter and what they hear and what they're taught. We can't just withdraw and let them make all the decisions. Now, we are blessed in Union County. I know Union County, we've got, we got, we got surrounding counties around us, a lot of them, Clay, Cherokee, Towns, Fannin, around that area here at Gilbert that we represent here this morning. But I'm going to speak to what I know better because I was in the Union County school system for 19 years. It's been a while since I've been involved in the system, but my daughter is still in there, and I've got close family that's still teaching. They're there now. And as a, as a whole, we are so blessed with our educational system. We've got good men and women. Matter of fact, not only, not only several years ago, but even today, I, I know of people that say we moved here because we wanted our kids to be in an educational system like you've got in Union County. It's that good. Now, are they perfect? Shoot, no. They're just like you and me. <laughs> you know, they're just like we are. But they're, they're seeking to be good. But let me say this. As a, a beginning teacher in 1972, some of you will say, Lord help. I can't even imagine that far back. But, but 1972, when I began teaching, I had no option. If I was going to belong to a professional organization, I had to belong to not only the Georgia Association of Educators, but I had to belong to the NEA, the National Educational Association. Within two years, I began to realize that what the policies of the NEA were espousing were not what I believed at all. And money that I was giving to them, they were using to further these policies. And I said, that ain't right. So I began to work, and here in Union County, I began to work and, and, and was able to help start the Professional Association of Georgia Educators, PAGE. And now as a result of others who've come along and continued with that, you can be a, a teacher locally and belong, have a professional organization that you're a part of without your money going to support NEA. Because I want to tell you something, this is your health opinion. The National Educational Association has become a big political union with the teachers in mind, and not only teachers, really their, their political agenda in mind, rather than what's best for the kids. That's Jerry Helton, okay? But I do know I have followed, uh, I, I knew her first name, DeVos. What's DeVos's first name? Secretary of Education. Betsy, Betsy DeVos. I, I followed her before she was ever Secretary of Education in this administration. And I think she's a good Christian woman. I, I really do. But I just want to tell you, the battle for our kids' minds and that battle for the educational system, don't withdraw from the political process and say, okay, that's them, let them figure it out. We have responsibility to be salt and light. Gender identity. This was the, where I started on this rabbit trail. Was reading, uh, reading and from first-hand sources, and I could, I, would, I could name names. I will not. They're not from here necessarily. But I do know that even locally, that children can uh, choose to be identified. A boy can choose to be, say, I'm, I'm really, I think I'm a girl. Okay, gender identity. Or a girl can say, I think I'm a boy. Or others can say, well, I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm something, okay? And that the teachers are told you have to call them by what they want to be called. And I do know this for a fact. In some systems, and I'm not even going to name them, they're not here. But I do know in a fact that those teachers have been required to not refer to that, that person in front of their parents that way. But they are told, we don't want the parents knowing this. Our responsibility is to help the children find out who they are themselves. You can't let them be influenced by the influence of the parents. That should be alarming. 
That should be alarming. I've got to quickly go on. When so, supporters, and when we're talking about marriage and, and uh, sexuality and gender identity and all this, had, had someone, I heard, I heard this on, on TV, and they were talking about a law that had just been passed, and they said, well, when it comes to redefining marriage, they said, we're, we'll, history will show that we were on the right side historically. And what they were saying is, as we go down the road, you're going to see, boy, we, y'all, we've been in line. But I want to tell you something. They may be on the right side historically, but they're on the wrong side biblically. And that's far more important. Now, let me sum up quickly. Neither party is going to line up perfectly with scriptures, I don't think. I've looked at them. I've looked at their stands. This is the party platform uh, from the Republican Party. Okay, this is their platform. This is their positions. I, I will read you one position. This is from them. You can go to their website and see. It says, traditional marriage and family based on marriage between one man and one woman is the foundation for a free society. And for a millennial has been entrusted with rearing children and instilling cultural values. There you go on. They, and, and when it comes to the sanctity of life, it's on their website, in their platforms. We assert the sanctity of human life and affirm that the unborn child has a fundamental right to life which cannot be infringed. We support a human life amendment to the Constitution and legislation to make clear, clear that the 14th Amendment's protections apply to children before birth. they got others. You can follow it. This is, a, again, this is a, from the Democratic website. From marriage. We still have work to do to ensure the LGBTQ plus people are treated equally under the law and in our society. We will fight to enact, enact the Equality Act and at last outlaw discrimination against LGBTQ people in housing, public accommodations, act, uh, accredited education, and all federal programs. We recognize that LGBTQ youth and adults suffer from significant health disparities. And we've got, we got some, some mental health counselors in our, in our congregation, and I appreciate that. Listen, it says, including mental health and substance abuse or use disorders. Democrats will expand, I'm quoting them, this is their website. Democrats will expand mental health and suicide prevention services and ban harmful conversion therapy practices. Now, you should, you should be aware of what conversion therapy is, right? Back in the day, conversion therapy was when somebody came to a, a professional counselor and they said, listen, I've got, I've got these heterosexual or homosexual tendencies and, and I'm, I've been acting on them and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm struggling, I'm, I'm feeling a lot of guilt, I'm feeling a lot of pain, can you help me with this? And there was a time when the political mental health people then would, would counsel and help with that with trying to help them deal with their gender as I, they were created. But as Christians withdrew from, the, from that, and, and those of you that are member, uh, you know, you're, if you're a member of the APA or keep up with that, you know that as we withdrew, then what happened to, to those who would use conversion therapy? They were arrested or they, were, or they lost their licensure. They could no longer do that until the point today, and I think Barbie, Barbie may have texted me that uh, while, we were, while we were talking First service, I was talking about a, a book. Oh, yeah. Oh, I can't pull all those up. But we were talking about a book. It was written for children. It was endorsed, and, and actually a copy was given to the library. Don't mean to be offensive, but the book, premise is a good book. God, how will you answer 
Kids question. Pastor Jeff says, ask a pastor. I've got a list of things I'm going to ask those guys. Turn those questions in. They'll love them, okay? They'll, and and, and not, only, not only will they answer them, but they'll seek to answer them biblically. So let me, let me encourage you to do that. But this book was a, was a book for kids. How will we answer these questions? And supposedly they were answering them from the standpoint of God answering them for them. And, and she was reading me some of that this week. And I, and I said, somebody's going to have to give an account to God one day. You've, you've, got, a young, you've got a young girl, and she's writing there. And she's, and she's saying, hey, I've been, I've, I'm, I'm feeling strongly, you know, and I've been, I've been acting out sexually with, with other girls. And I wanted, I, I, that's who I am. I think that's who I am. And God would say to her, that's fine. Just be who you are. If you're that way, God created you that way. When we push that, there it creates, we talk about mental, it creates confusion. Don't help with confusion. All right, you can know their positions. There's no excuse not to do that. You can know it. Now, neither political party is going to line up perfectly with these things. But compelled for our, with our love, by our love for our neighbors and want to be good stewards of the freedoms God's trusted us with, we need to be engaged in the political process we need to be issue-oriented, and we need to be educated on, the, on, on what the positions and all those candidates and their positions on this, okay? We educate ourselves. There's no excuse not to. And you say, well, that's who the, their, their policy platforms is not who our local politicians are. Then vote a split ticket. Not to vote. You know, may not vote. Know the position and know the candidate's position on this. Through a biblical worldview, and then vote accordingly. I close with this. I was thinking about this this week, and I thought, Lord, how am I going to pray when I, when I go in to vote? As I decide who to vote for, how am I going to pray? How am I going to pray? And this is what I wrote. Dear God, I seek to honor you in all I do. And that includes voting. As I cast this ballot, may my decision as to who to vote for bring you glory by honoring your values, sanctity of life, biblical marriage and sexuality, helping the poor, and ending racial inequalities. I thought of the, and I, and I thought of scripture. There's a, there's, in, in uh, Isaiah 29.3 and Ezekiel 33.31, Jesus refers to both these Old Testament passages in, when he's talking in Matthew 15. And he's, and he's, he's telling the, the, his followers in Matthew 15. He's saying, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you. He said, you worship me with your lips. Go to verse 8. You got verse 8 there, Craig? You, you draw near me with your mouth. You honor me with your lips. But their heart is far from me. In vain, they do worship me. They say they worship me. He said, it's empty. It means nothing. So what am I saying? I'm saying, you're going to, in this political cycle, you can't watch TV for an hour, or I can't. I can't even watch, I was watching Audrey Murphy yesterday, Western, a good Western. You can't even watch Audrey Murphy for an hour, or John Wayne, or whatever they are, Vernon. You can't watch them for an hour without advertisements, unless you, some of you got, it's not T-Bone, what is it? DVR, TiVo, TiVo, TiVo. You, you do something, you record it. Then you just skip through the, the commercials. That's pretty cool, okay? But if you're having to watch a whole TV like I do, you watch, and watch, we're in this season, 
right? Political ads, every, every, every commercial. And here's one candidate saying that the other candidate is horrible mad. The next commercial, this other candidate saying that candidate's horrible mad. All right? And you're thinking, they can't both be true. <laughs> Somebody's got, there's got to be truth somewhere in the middle of this. Jesus would say, don't just listen to the words, but see what their actions are. See what, see what their positions are. See what their past records are, because that's going to reveal their heart. So, Lord, I want to honor you. I want to honor you. May I honor you by obeying what your Holy Spirit says to me and then cast the vote. Listen to me. That's, I seek as a pastor to be encouraging. I wanted to be sure that this was an endorsement of biblical truth. Okay? I wanted to be sure. I said, I'm not telling you to vote Democrat. I am not telling you to vote Republican. I'm not telling you to not vote either one of those. What I am saying as a, as a religious leader is I believe we have a responsibility and a privilege to know the positions and to pray and say, God, what honors you? What honors you? And to vote as the Holy Spirit leads you. Amen? Amen. We have a responsibility and we have a privilege in a great nation of ours to be a part of that process. Oh, Father, whether it's following you in obedience to our worship, whether it's following you in obedience to our voting, Lord, it's all following you in obedience to your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that enables and strengthens us to make those hard decisions at the time, not based upon our emotions, as Kristen said, but based upon your truth. Thank you that your truth guides us and directs us. In your name we pray. Amen.